We are kicking off a new series this morning into Corinthians called Weak But Strong. And um, today we're going to be looking and considering the topic of comfort. So um, many things spring to mind when we think of comfort, don't they? Um, I have to confess, 163 episodes of Say Yes to the Dress is what I've watched. <laughs> I know, in fairness, mostly when our two-year-old, who's and a one-year-old little, were sleeping twice a day, one of those naps would be dedicated to catching up on the episodes I'd recorded. Anyway, there were 271 apparently, so I'm behind. <laughs> um, but it makes me think, There you go, people. I, I'm even more spiritual than I realized. <laughs> uh, anyway, like we somehow have to weave that to comfort. Right. So it makes me think of comfort for two reasons. First of all, I watched it snuggled up on my sofa under my blanket, sometimes with my eyes closed. And also, um, some of the dresses have like eider down type. Uh, trains and of course the Americans would call that like a bed comforter um, so um, so when I think of comfort I think of say yes to the dress I think of Linus with his little blue blanket or red blanket I can't remember now um, out of the peanuts cartoons he takes his little blanket everywhere with him for security purposes um, I think of my bed I love my bed I went through a phase of declaring every evening when I got into bed how much I loved my bed and then I had to stop because my poor husband felt that he might be coming second to the bed. <laughs> but you know, it's got pillows, it's got duvets, what's not to love? And it made me think of the luxuries in life, those things that we consider our comforts that make our life better. But um, I think there's probably more to it than all of that. Uh, let's read together from 2 Corinthians. Does, do people want Bibles? Mike, why don't you? Oh, sorry, Linda. Uh, Mike, give, give a wave if you want a Bible, and uh, if you haven't got one at home, feel free to take this as our gift to you. There we go. And we're going to turn to 2 Corinthians, which is actually on page 1,159 in these... Oh, actually, I've got a different one. It won't be the same. <laughs> Never mind. I was trying to be helpful. I was trying to be helpful. Right, are we ready? Um... It's entitled, Praise to the God of All Comfort. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we're distressed, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we're comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you 
patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our suffering, so you also share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we'd received the sentence of death. But this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as, we, as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favour granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Amen. I think this morning that God wants us to understand a wider view of comfort. Um, I think sometimes the comfort that we think upon is an echo of what he has for us. We have a very lively two-year-old. You'll have seen him this morning, being that lively two-year-old. And uh, every morning we have a joke, he wakes up feet first. So hopefully after six o'clock we hear him running from his bed into our bedroom. About two days ago he was full on running like this. He was ready for the day. (laughs) Arms up, hello, I am arriving well. Um, But it's a totally different thing when he wakes up from his afternoon nap. He's really sleepy for ages and it's lovely. So uh, we make the most then of like the opportunity to have cuddles with him. He's at the age where he's learning about the world. He's learning how to interact with it and respond to it. Um, and, and for one so little, he's had quite significant changes in his life. So he can be a little chaotic sometimes. He can throw brilliant t- tantrums, maybe more than he actually needs to. And he often feels separation anxiety quite keenly. So this time when he's at a point where he can settle onto our knee and receive cuddles is lovely. Uh, We can hold him close. His head can be against our chest. He can maybe hear our heartbeats. He can feel the rhythm of our breathing. And and we found since we started to do this um, that he's been uh, just calmer about certain things. So it's easier to calm him down. And his separation anxiety has been less since we have deliberately spent this time. And it's not that we don't cuddle him at other times, but we've just deliberately had that for a a while. Um, Just an elongated time, I suppose. It enables him to be in tune with us, to bond with us. And we're inviting him in that moment to be in our settled world rather than than his chaotic one. To know the rhythm of a more regulated life. It grounds him, if you like. And he may not have a need directly for comfort in that moment, but it has a comforting effect that permeates his day. Imagine being that child sitting on your heavenly father's knee. The intimacy of his hand on your head, leaning against his chest and hearing his heartbeat feeling the movement of his breathing, the rhythm of his body. It's an invitation for us to know and experience his rhythm for our lives. The comfort he offers when you spend time with him 
is deeper and more far-reaching than you have realised. And it can help ground you and regulate you and help you deal with the chaos of life. In the midst of everything else that's going on, we've got school runs, haven't we? Calendar notifications going off, emails, WhatsApp groups pinging, um, ironing to do, hospital appointments, work schedules, getting to work. Um, we've got loneliness in the middle of the night. We've got anxious waking in the early morning. The invitation is to draw close to allow his comfort to permeate your day at that point in time. For me, being comforted is a sense of all is well, or at least all could be well, all is going to be well. A sense of peace despite what's going on. But why is God comforting? What is it about his comfort? What are the ingredients of it? Well, his comfort brings a different perspective. He lifts us from the circumstance that we're in and gives us a broader view. It helps us believe in hope, a better days coming, an easier time. Uh, 1 Corinthians 4.18 says this, For we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, and what is unseen is eternal. God helps us to have an eternal perspective. And an eternal perspective brings us comfort. Our troubles will pass. And he has authority. He has authority, he is sovereign, he has the victory. Comfort is available to us because of what Jesus has done on the cross. He has brought us victory over death, over disease, over trouble, over circumstance. That's, I think that's where it is for me at the moment, personally, and what we're do, facing, I suppose, in life at the moment, is that God has the authority. And within that authority, he has power and expertise. So the things that I don't know about, he knows about. And that is a great reassurance to me at the moment. And thankfully, nothing is outside of his comfort. Verse 4 says he comforts us in all our troubles. Not just some, not most of them, but all of them. Um, not that he might bring us comfort, no, but he will bring us comfort. This is a guaranteed blessing. God doesn't do things in a half-hearted or a piecemeal way. This is a whole-hearted thing. And it's not influenced by whether you've been good or whether you've read your Bible twice a day. It's not something that can be earned or will be a reward for how you've been doing, uh, something that can be achieved. It's simply available to us in every situation when we're feeling that anxious thought or that lonely moment or that confusion. And it's all-inclusive. Verse 5 shows us, uses the word abounds. This comfort's overflowing. It can't be contained. Um, you know, the other day I was leaning against the kitchen worktop and I hadn't paid attention. I'd put the tap on and the overflow pipe isn't working in our kitchen sink. And so because I wasn't paying attention, the water started to run over and I got my jeans were all wet down one leg. That's what it's like when we're with God. His comfort is overflowing. So, so we can't almost help but feel it. And comfort is given through love and in love. When I was at the top of primary school, 
I fell off my bike on the way home from school. I had to cycle from one village to the next village. And the council had put that tiny, tiny little grit that they put across the surface of the road. And so I had skidded and come off and I had shredded my knees, really shredded them. And I had a moment of thinking, will I go back to school? Nobody will be there. Will I go home? How am I going to get home? Anyway, a man from the village that we lived in came by and took me home in his car. I was quite worried. I was bleeding from his car. We'd have to leave my bike. Anyway, I got home and my mum's a nurse. Nothing much favoured her, but she did look a little perturbed when she saw me. She set me up on the kitchen bench. And interestingly enough, her friend, who was the district nurse, happened to appear 10 minutes later. <laughs> and I sat on the kitchen bench, and after 45 minutes of her picking gravel out of my knees, I was like, I did sort of say to her, do you think we should have gone to A&E? <laughs> to say this to my mum's a nurse. Um, and she said, uh, no. And then uh, the district nurse said, Emma? They would have scrubbed it with a toothbrush. <laughs> you see, uh, my mum was taking time to do it in the most gentle way she possibly could. And when she was satisfied that all the gravel was gone, she bandaged my knees and I went, people, to my Lever's disco with two big bandages from his hair on both my legs. It was not a good look. And I'd already bought my dress. So I was like, I should have had trousers. Anyway, it was very sad. But my mum, she cleaned and dressed those wounds with love. And it might have taken longer, but I didn't have to wait for treatment. And it was all delivered with great care. And God's comfort is delivered in love. I was not afraid to let my mum deal with my open wounds. In fact, I wanted her to help me. God ministers only through his love for us in the same way. His love comes pack his comfort comes packaged in his love. And in fact, at the day of that knee injury, I felt better as soon as I was home, as soon as I was with mum and she was dealing with me. Um, and God's comfort comes in his presence. Philippians 4 says this The Lord is near, do not be anxious about anything. Ah, oh, he's near. He's with me. I'm not alone. He understands. These things won't last forever. I can keep on going now. He knows. He understands. Because in his presence, an exchange happens. We exchange our troubles and sorrows for consolation and peace, encouragement and joy. Jeremiah was a man of the Old Testament. He was a prophet. So he heard from God and then told people what God was saying. And in, verse, uh, in Jeremiah 31, verse 13, it says this, I will turn their mourning into gladness. I will give them comfort and joy instead of sorrow. There's that exchange again. You can see it many times in the Bible, actually. So Jeremiah is encouraging the people that God will turn their mourning into gladness their sorrow into comfort and joy. And Paul, who has written today's passage, lives out this exchange process. Um, he describes in the later bits, verses 8 to 11, his troubles, how he's felt despair and yet has hope. That's the exchange for him in that passage, despair for hope. Let's think about his life. 
He's a man of comfort. He both receives it and he gives it. I'm not sure, actually, that Paul had very many easy times between his hard times once he became a Christian. He did loads of travelling. He had four big journeys and travelled around what is today's Mediterranean, uh, from Rome, the Greek islands, Turkey, lots of places, and, of course, not with the ease that we do now. Mike and I were chatting about his travel experiences, Mike's travel experiences. Uh, he has, like, a crude little bunch of tales about his travelling life. He's had contracts in Norway and India and has travelled to the States. He's travelled quite a lot with work. Would you like a little summary? You're going to get one, whether you like it or not. <laughs> okay, so in Mike's travels, he has been at the airport and remembered that he's not packed pants. He's quite expensive to buy pants in the airport, people. <laughs> he has been at the airport and realised that the only shoes he has with him are the bright green ones that he's travelling in with his jeans. Not very good with his suit. I tell you what, airport shoes are way more expensive than airport pants. <laughs> he's realised that he's left his passport at home. He has been sitting in a plane and realised that his wallet is still safe in the safe in the hotel room that he's just left. He has spent seven hours standing beside a luggage desk in Moscow airport as part of a 20-hour travel stint so that they didn't forget him or his bags. He's lost his luggage. He's suffered a migraine before a flight, and so they let him get on first as priority boarding. And then when the rest of the passengers came on board, somebody dropped their bag on his head. <laughs> and they went to put it in the overhead locker. Mike said you could see the air through a death like, He's got halfway through a journey to realise his flights haven't been paid for by work. He's got off a plane really quickly, having been asleep and realised of landed, and been waiting for his baggage before he realised that they weren't actually at the final destination. <laughs> and while the whole plane was waiting for him, they located him. <laughs> Can you imagine walking back on? He had to walk on that plane, people. <laughs> he was that man. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> he has arrived in Germany, spent a night in a hotel, got up for meetings the next morning, only to find out the meetings had been cancelled and he was the only one not informed in the team. I know, it's sad, isn't it? <laughs> it is sad. And then on the way back, the flight home was really turbulent, actually. It was awful flight home for no reason. He has lost nine kilos in 18 hours and spent time in an Indian hospital. It was, it was quite something, actually. He reckons he spent 15 to 20 days in one given year sitting in airports, not checking in, not eating, not going through security and all of the stuff. You have to be literally just sitting. That's why I had time to work that out, I reckon. <laughs> so, yes, I know. So, I'm just sitting. Hour 18. He has been bored. He has been very tired. He has been very ill. He has felt foolish. He's been forgotten. And he has certainly felt very lonely. But Paul's travel tales are much worse than that. <laughs> much worse, actually, literally. 
This is a description later in Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians 11, of Paul's. Are you ready for this? I've been in prison, been flogged severely. I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. And yet he grasped a hold of God's comfort. How did he do that? Paul relies entirely upon God. Not on himself, but on a powerful God who he recognizes can deliver him from those situations. He has a perspective that his sufferings are a blessing because without them he wouldn't know and seek God's comfort. If he was having an easy time, he wouldn't have experienced God in that way. His afflictions enabled him to have a fullness in his relationship with God, a richness that without which he wouldn't have. We see in Paul a man who has nowhere else to go but God. And we don't either. It's just not always as necessary. Are we ready to be as completely reliant upon God as Paul was? We're very good at looking for comfort in other places, aren't we? The ways we try to soothe ourselves, food. Do you know, I was reading an article in Psychology Magazine, Psychology Today, and it's called Seeking Comfort the Impossible Way. Some of the things we do for comfort that are not so comforting after all. And it was talking about when you reach for that comfort food, and they did research. And apparently, if you just waited it out, if you had no food or other food, it's just the same. After three minutes, your mood changes. Three minutes, how fickle, how fickle are we to sit in that searching moment, you know? I know it can be more deep-rooted than that, but it's interesting. Just for those chocolate bar moments, actually, if we just rode it out, the research shows that we would have changed anyway. Our moods would have changed anyway. It's nothing to do with what was eaten. We also escape from life by uh, finding comfort in box sets, other relationships, alcohol, or something else perhaps, sleep, hiding away. We used to have a tiny little hamster that used to go into kind of a hibernation. We used to, have, we used to think she was dead, actually, until we realized what it was, and you could stroke her out of it and back into life. But she loved hiding away. And what stops us from going to God first? Pride? maybe, independence, self-sufficiency. We're not comfortable with being weak or needing help, are we? It's a cultural decree, really, that we should be independent and managed by ourselves. Lack of trust, fear of breaking down completely. Sometimes we're so busy holding it all together that we worry about the cracks that will show if we don't do that. And whilst I was thinking about this morning, about that this morning, I felt like God showed me a picture of somebody who feels like there are broken glass bars that has been glued back together and and is just too fragile to handle. Anything could cause that to crumble again. 
but God knows exactly the lightness of touch that you need in your lives. So Paul is relying upon love, and I want to suggest as well that it's a mindset thing for him. It says Paul set his hope. He was undeviated. He, he plotted his course, if you like, hope this way. He surrendered himself, his will, and been reliant on God, and he's also made a decision that he will look to God and think, focus upon his hope. And Paul doesn't do this in isolation. He does it in community with other believers, both those near him and those far away from him, who pray and encourage him. And he is in turn doing the same for them. Paul ministers comfort to others. He encourages them. He wrote to them, spurred them on, keeping them in line with the teachings of Jesus, guiding the new churches that were beginning. He sent people to them, and all this was reciprocated. They, in turn, sent him food and money and people and letters of encouragement that kept him going through his imprisonment. There is purpose behind receiving God's comfort that's wider than the benefit it brings us. In verse 4, God it says, God comforts us so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we've received. We are to be a people of comfort. Sometimes we don't know what to do for each other, do we? We don't know what that looks like. Job's friends probably did their best job when they sat in silence with him. Job is a man we read about in the Old Testament, and he had lost everything. He'd lost his family, his business, his farm had gone to rack and ruin, and he was physically unwell. And uh, Job's three friends heard about all the troubles that came upon him. And it says in the Bible, they set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. They sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. They didn't know what to say, but they were with him. Just as God gives us at his presence, his gift, their gift of him was their presence. Yeah. And I know, actually, that this church, our church here, we are good conduits of God's comfort. I know that people cook for one another, visit each other in hospital. We send cards, texts, emails. We pray with and for one another. We are speaking scripture, truth, hope, life and comfort to one another in our lives. And I want to encourage you this morning to keep going with that. Receive God's comfort yourself so you can lift yourself out of just looking at your own circumstance and be a comfort to others. And our small groups are remarkable places for allowing um, a place for that to happen. Opportunity to administer God's comfort. And perhaps if you are not involved in one, that's something you can think about this week. And friends help us, don't they? Paul's friends prayed for him. Uh, lots of people prayed for him, and he saw the gracious favor granted answers to those prayers. They encouraged him. And Mike's friends helped him when he was traveling in India. The two people he'd gone with work went back to the hotel room to check he was okay when he was losing his nine kilos in 18 days. 
and they took him to the hospital and they made sure he was okay and they organised for his travel back because it was going to be different and they kept him company whilst they could. I, I don't think either of those were Christians. You know, what are we doing in our workplaces? Are we able to extend God's comfort to others that we meet day to day who don't know Jesus? We can't bring about divine change in situations, but it's possible for us to share comfort that we've received. It's possible to help people see a wider perspective and to bring hope and to be with them in their troubles. Are we helping people make that exchange um, from despair to hope? It's God's desire for us to know his comfort deeply and to fulfill the call to comfort those in any trouble. Why don't we stand? Just invite the Holy Spirit to come.